support for programming on NET Radio comes from History Nebraska, recognizing everyday Nebraskans who do their part to preserve and share Nebraska's stories. The history of Nebraska belongs to the people. To learn more, history.nebraska.gov. Support for programming also comes from Cornerstone Bank, a family-owned bank providing custom investments, trust, and estate planning services since 1882 with 46 central Nebraska locations. CornerstoneConnect.com. Cornerstone Bank, building trust on a solid foundation. Good morning and welcome to Friday Live here on NET Radio. Much of today's show is pre-recorded as we continue to protect ourselves and our guests from the spread of COVID-19. I'm Genevieve Randall. Ahead on this week's show, Waquito Dreyer has a review of a film currently at the Ross Media Arts Center. We'll meet the founder of the American Spiritual Ensemble as well as artists on concerts and workshops online from Lincoln and Avoca. And ahead in just 19 minutes, we'll hear another poem this week from Nebraska poet Sadiq Zukogi. Everett McCorvey of the American Spiritual Ensemble is hosted by the Arts for the Soul series this Sunday at 7 p.m. for a Zoom class. And then on Sunday, May 2nd, there's an online concert. They made their Nebraska debut in January 2020 with a concert on the Auburn Music Series honoring Dr. Martin Luther King. Great to have the American Spiritual Ensemble back in Nebraska, at least online anyway. Dr. Everett McCorvey is a tenor soloist, a conductor, and professor of voice, and is the founder and music director for the American Spiritual Ensemble. And he joins me right now. Welcome to Friday Live. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. We're delighted that you're here in Nebraska after making your debut in 2020 there. Who knew when we came to Nebraska in 2020 that it was going to be a shortened year? We were just uh, not prepared for what was going to happen just a few months later. So I'm happy we were able to get there. I wonder what was the kind of journey and experience for American Spiritual Ensemble through 2020? Our last concert was on March 11th in Syracuse, New York. A couple of days before the concert, the university had already made the announcement to the students that the university was going to close as of that Friday. That's around the 13th, I think it was. And the students petitioned to the president to ask if they could still have the concert. And so we were able to present the concert on March 11th. Then the world shut down on March 13th. So we were so happy to get that in. And then the rest of the year, we were like every other arts organization in the world. I mean, can you imagine not a single arts performance going on anywhere in the world? As we understood the science more, I thought we should try to do something uh, for our 2021 tour so that we could, one, give the singers employment, also try to fashion the concert, and that's where uh, the Power of the Spirituals concert came from. Tell us about the class, which is being led over Zoom. What can our listeners expect from that class? 
when we have presented the spirituals or when we go to a new area, a lot of people want to know more about the spirituals and how the spirituals were formed, the circumstances around these spirituals in terms of when they were developed. And I think because of the Black Lives Matter movement that's been happening in our country this year, there has been uh, a heightened interest in uh, the music of Black people and how this music came to be and, and, and want to know more about that. There's just a lot more inquiry and, and research on this music. And so I'm very happy to be able to talk about it. And so that's what the class will be. We'll talk about the history of this music. We'll also talk about the uh, formation of the American Spiritual Ensemble, its mission, and then talk about the spirituals. As I look through the website, it says that it is your honor, that's the way that you worded it, to share this music, you write, quote, of my ancestors and of my heart. So not only is there this deep connection to American history and American music, but it's personal for you. It is. I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama during the civil rights movement. My family home was about a block and a half from the home where Martin Luther King lived when he was in Montgomery, Alabama. And my father was a deacon at the church where the Reverend Ralph David Abernathy, who was Martin Luther King's assistant, that was my father's church. And my my dad was a deacon there and was actually made a deacon by Ralph Abernathy. It was in my father's church, I would hear these spirituals and I would hear their stories and the power of them. And then Martin Luther King's sermons, in a lot of his sermons and a lot of his speeches, he quoted texts from spirituals. And so this music was part of my upbringing, and I wanted to make sure that these spirituals were not lost. When I was first coming out in terms of working in the profession, I was very surprised, I guess, that spirituals were sort of going by the wayside and gospel music was becoming very popular. I did not grow up on gospel music. I grew up on spirituals. And so I started realizing very quickly that a lot of people didn't know the difference between spirituals and gospel music. And I wanted to make sure these spirituals were not lost because I call these spirituals the mother music, the music that really started in a difficult time in our country's history. But it's the music from which American music has its roots from the American Negro spiritual jazz, blues, gospel, pop, all grew out of this art form. We didn't consider it necessarily an art form at the time. But all of this music grew out of that. And so I wanted to make sure that this music was not lost. And when we perform it, I feel like I hear the voices of my ancestors in helping me to not only teach this music, but tell its history. Well, this music is very meaningful. You mentioned that spirituals tell different stories. Um, In that online concert on May 2nd, what are some of the variety of stories and songs? We're doing something that's really very exciting. We are partnering with an author by the name of uh, Eileen Gunther. And Eileen Gunther wrote a book entitled In Their Own Words and the Power of the Spiritual. What Eileen did was she researched uh, first-person narratives of hundreds of slaves who had been freed and their stories had been documented. 
And so Eileen took these narratives and put them in a book, and I had the great pleasure of working with her in Rochester, New York, for another ACDA concert. In that concert, we took some of these narratives and paired them with spirituals. And it was a very powerful concert, and so I invited her right away to partner with me on this video concert where we take some of the narratives that she uh, has researched and we read the narratives, and then after we read the narratives, we sing the spirituals. Her work was trying to find where spirituals came from, because most people may not realize this, but all the, the spiritual melodies, no one knows who wrote them. So you'll see on a concert, it will say, if it's a spiritual, typically it'll say arranged by instead of composed by. You have several famous composers in uh, Nebraska, but Marquez Garrett, who's at Nebraska, he may have some composed by in the style of a spiritual. Actually, we did one for the concert that we did out there called Rise, Shine, and it was a wonderful arrangement. The spirituals are arrangements, and so there are probably about 6,000 spiritual melodies of that, about 3,000 of these melodies have been documented, written down. Many are in the National Library of Congress. As Eileen researched the narratives, I took those narratives and paired them with spirituals. And it makes for a very, very powerful concert. Dr. Everett McCorvey, he is the founder and music director of the American Spiritual Ensemble. He leads a class that's coming up this Sunday at 7 p.m. over Zoom called The Power of Spirituals and then leads an online concert with the same title, Sunday, May 2nd at 7 p.m. Both of those are being hosted by the Arts for the Soul series. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me about both of these events. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm looking forward to being out in uh, Nebraska again. I hope that our audiences will enjoy and experience the power of the Prince. You're listening to Friday Live on NET Radio. I'm Genevieve Randall. Next, Kearney Symphony Orchestra concert features a work by Nebraska composer Anthony D'Onofrio. He's gotten his stuff played in a lot of places internationally. The other thing that I've really respected and loved about Tony's work here is that he has uh, had a contemporary music festival. Hear more of my conversation with conductor Allison Gaines about the concert by listening to this week's Friday Live Extra podcast. Find it wherever you find your podcasts or listen on our website at netnebraska.org slash radio. Home is not always where the heart is, especially when a college student returns to pay her respects. Wakitel Dreyer has this review of Shiva Baby opening at the Ross Media Arts Center. Shiva Baby is Emma Seligman's feature debut. 
Set during a shiva or a Jewish funeral, Seligman explores the adventures of Danielle, a Jewish college student who navigates a barrage of questions from relatives and friends about her future during this somber time. The following question can bring on anxiety for any student home from college. What are you going to do with your life? No matter what, there is no place for Danielle to escape, especially given her reputation as a wild child who has difficulty finding the anchor for her life. Seligman has a gift for dramatizing the comedy as well as the sheer angst Danielle experiences from conversation on top of conversation and banter in every nook and cranny. It is a delicate balance between family, surveillance, and personal anxiety. Toss in a crying baby for good measure. Ay, ay, ay. And the cacophony is all pervasive. It's as if a hand grenade has been thrown into the house and we are waiting for it to explode. You can't just like show up to like the after party for a shiva and like reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? Even more nerve-wracking are the attempts by the characters to keep their voices down while having a discussion. Danielle gulps food for comfort, all the while bracing herself for the next personal insult. Well, here's one. Kim, a shiksa, whom Debbie, Danielle's mother, describes as a self-made woman, a wonderful entrepreneur, could consider Danielle for employment at her company. Joel was saying that maybe you have a job offer for her? Yeah, we were just telling Kim what a, what a fantastic babysitter you are. I'm looking for someone. I mean, it might be good to fill in part-time while you're looking for, you know, whatever it is that you're going to do. I mean, good babysitters are so hard to find. Shiva Baby is an exploration of emotional containment in the midst of grief, slathered with the neuroses of family expectations, misunderstandings, disappointments, religious undertones, and a modicum of joy. Maybe. Ariel Marx's soundtrack promotes the claustrophobic atmosphere as Maria Rusch's camera shifts from room to room to people clustered together, steeped in vapid dialogue. A baby, so adorable, sleeping like a baby. Tears of gold, this baby cries. Listen, crying. sweetie, you don't have to worry. I, I found my phone. You don't have to think about looking for it. She was never worried about your phone. How long have you guys been together? Almost five years. Mm -hmm. And how did you meet? Online. You're very curious. If Shiva is death, and it is, then Danielle, this 20-something bisexual vegetarian college student, is in its deep cavern of despair. To witness her crawl out of it enables an intense discomfort, at times mean-spirited, during other times sympathetic and insecure, Danielle emerges as a young woman who still has yet to find a way to land on her own two feet. Shiva Baby plays through May 6th at the Ross Media Arts Center in Lincoln. For Friday Live, I am Waikito Dreher. 
be sure to check out the arts calendar on our website. There are some online only or other socially distant events there in addition to some in-person events. Feel free to submit your own arts or humanities event. The address to find events or add your own is netnebraska.org slash radio. Just click events. Here are some highlights. Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet is being staged in Fremont at Kimmel Theater this weekend with evening performances tonight and tomorrow and a 2 p.m. show on Sunday. An online event with civil rights investigator Rob Rowan will combine local and national history on redlining and how the impacts of redlining are felt today. That streams at 1 p.m. today. The Nyhart Center in Bancroft hosts their 40th anniversary spring conference. That's tomorrow starting at 9.30 a.m. And the World Theater in Kearney celebrates swing in what they describe as a sassy musical presented by Crane River Theater called the All Night Strut. For more information about these and other events, visit our website, netnebraska.org slash radio. Support for humanities-related programming on NET comes from Humanities Nebraska, delivering opportunities to engage with history and culture. On the web at humanitiesnebraska.org. Support for programming also comes from Brian Luther at Compass Financial Resources, helping Nebraska educators better understand their pensions and retirement benefits through educator workshops. For dates, locations, and individual consultations, compassnebr.com backslash upcoming events. Support for programming also comes from Union Bank and Trust with hardship loans and special considerations to help customers through these uncertain times. The people of UBT are here for Nebraskans and available by phone anytime. Member FDIC. Dave Hughes. Sadiq Zukogi is the author of Your Crib, My Kibla. His chapbook, Inside the Flower Room, was selected by Kwame Dawes and Chris Abani for APBF New Generation African Poets Chapbook Series. His poems have appeared or are forthcoming in the Cincinnati Review, Gulf Coast, Kenyan Review, Oxford Poetry, Poetry Society of America, Prairie Schooner, and other literary journals and magazines. Today, he reads two of his poems. He didn't get to say goodbye. He glances at your mother's grief spread like a republic too vast to be seen from above a cliff. Hamatan blows its cop grasses. He had no idea that you would transform into a gloat of daisies across every climate he strides. He knows you mean to care for him. You must have tried hard to tell him you wouldn't stay bound up in the circle of a clock. When he recognized you as his daughter, you, the reason sin, released into every wound that appears in his universe, he felt rescued. There isn't a single printed photograph of you in the house. Every night is a night of grieving, where light and darkness seem to shade each other. A stretch of sorrow sucks the color out of everything. Even a blossoming garden appears in black and white. He doesn't want to offend you, 
but he still has important things to say, things he knows the dead won't hear. Where pain lives. I woke up one morning and my shadow seemed like a burning cloth that no longer fit my body. Dear child, when you pressed your stomach to the cold tiles to take in the energy of earth just a few weeks before you died, your pulse trudged through that which before long claimed your body. Where your headstone was, I put a mirror. Each time I come to visit, I see that you live in my face, the only place you can be found. I put my hands in fire, searching for bones. Grandmother said, when a shadow is on fire, the body catches the flame and transforms into a figment swallowed by the wind. The places where the fire has touched, that is where pain lives. Sadiq Zukogi read Where Pain Lives, and before that, he didn't get to say goodbye. Zukogi is a Ph.D. student at UNL and serves as an assistant poetry editor for Prairie Schooner. He can be found on Twitter at S-A-D-D-I-Q-D-Z-U-K-O-G-I. wanted people to know what they had gone through, and it was an extraordinary story to share. A new book by journalist Robert Calker investigates what happened to the Galvins, a seemingly happy family, but of the 12 children, six would be diagnosed with schizophrenia. All About Books host Pat Leach learned much about both this large mid-century family and their struggle with mental illness. While I realize not everyone prefers a book with this intensity, I recommend it generally. There's no escaping the particular challenges of schizophrenia here, but in so many ways, the depth of mental illness in the Galvin family raises questions that apply to all families. Where do I fit? Am I safe here? Who am I when I'm outside my family? What parts of myself are my own? Am I loved? A review of Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family by Robert Kolker can be found on our website, netnebraska.org slash allaboutbooks. Listening to Friday Live here on NET Radio, an art show in a state park is next. The Platte River Art Show, hosted by Prairie Images, takes place through the weekend at Mahoney State Park. And here to tell us about it is award-winning photographer Naya Carmen. Naya, it is so great to talk with you. I think the last time we talked was March 6, 2020, or at least saw each other then. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. 
A lot has happened. Well, so this art show is tonight. The show gets started at 6 p.m. and then opens at 9 a.m. tomorrow and Sunday. Naya, about how many artists are participating this year? There are 15 artists participating this year in the show. Um, We have anything and everything from oil paintings, watercolor. We have acrylic paintings. We have photography, obviously. We have wood and bronze sculptures. We have wood turning. We have thunder gourds. We have antler carving and art from some people that do leather. We have a lady that does miniature rooms. So there's a wide variety of a lot of different things. Miniature rooms. That sounds interesting. I don't know if I've seen those. They're really cool. You'll have to stop by the show and come and see the lady that does them. Her name is Linda. It's called Little Max Miniatures. And she sets up these elaborate rooms of she has a haunted house one. She has a wine cellar one. It's really cool. Where are the artists from that are participating in the show? All over the Midwest. We have from South Dakota and Nebraska. And you mentioned photography, of course, so some of your work is also in the show. I'll have my photography on display, so I'll have quite a few new pieces. Um, For those that have been following me for quite a while, even though I didn't do a whole lot of shows last year in 2020, I do have new pieces for this year for 2021, so it'll be exciting. I'm going to quote the about section of your website for some of our listeners who may be hearing about your work for the first time, Naya. You wrote, my unique perspective of unusual angles, shapes, and scenes visible only from my wheelchair helped to make my photography individual. So I like how you've described that we get a kind of unique perspective from you. You did mention that you have new work this year. What have you been working on? I have some cranes, so that'll be exciting to have everybody see as I have some cranes. I have some sunflowers that I captured towards the North Platte area, and then I have some stuff that I captured in Ogallala at Johnson's Lake, so I'll have some of that stuff out there too. I have quite a few new pieces. I just kind of got lost in doing photography. Since we didn't really have a lot of shows, I was able to go out and capture some new stuff. I think I ended up having last year only five or six of my normal 13 shows that I normally have, and all of them were outside, and Mahoney got canceled, and it just, yeah, it was really bad. I was blessed enough that my portraiture work stepped up quite a bit, and I had several different families do the front porch sessions so that really helped where I'd go to their house and you know they'd pose all cute and everything on their front porch and so that really helped and then I had seniors and some of my regular families do their thing and so that really helped but yeah not having the arch was really hurt. It really sounds like it. I kind of wondered what this last year was like for you and of course outdoors is one of those places people feel fairly safe so it sounds like that was kind of your venue this year. Yep, definitely. Are there any directed health measures for the Platte River Art Show that people need to know about if they're going to come to Mahoney for this? Masks will be required. We will be in the Peter Kiewit Lodge, and all of the artists are scattered throughout upstairs and downstairs, just kind of be respective of everybody's personal space. But other than that, just come out and enjoy and shop for Mother's Day. This is an art show that's been going for a couple of years, right? Yeah, several years. For me, this is my sixth year, seventh year, something like that. 
doing the show. So it's been going on for quite a while. And if you don't have a Nebraska State Park sticker, you do have to pay $6 to get in for the day. But that allows you to go everywhere in Mahoney and explore the park and then come in and enjoy the art show and buy from the artist. I've been talking here with Nebraska photographer Naya Carmen about the Platte River Art Show. That's tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. at Mahoney State Park, and the show is open again tomorrow and Sunday starting at 9 a.m. There's about 15 or so artists, including Naya, involved in that show. Naya, it's great to talk with you again, and I really hope you have a great weekend with the show. Yeah, you too. Thank you for having me on. It was great to see you again and great to talk to you, and hopefully everybody comes out and enjoys. And to find out more, there is a link on our website at netnebraska.org slash radio right there on the Friday Live page. If you enjoyed that interview or an earlier interview and wish you could hear it again, you can play today's show as many times as you like online or download it. We podcast the show each week, and you can look for that later this afternoon on our Facebook page or on our website. That address is netnebraska.org. A 50-state survey among adults under 40 shows one in 10 of them don't remember ever hearing the word Holocaust, where 6 million Jews were killed in World War II. Among them were Kurt and Regina Schoenwald, whose son and grandsons lived in Lincoln. As NET's Melissa Rosales tells us, Lincoln High School is performing a play based on the family's experience. Growing up in Lincoln, Ken Wald never knew his grandparents. He knew his parents met after fleeing Germany and settled in Nebraska. His father, Heinz Schoenwald, changed his name to Henry Wald in America. And in the small Jewish community they lived in, virtually no one talked about their grandparents. There was a silence about them. None of the survivors in our group really wanted to talk about what had happened to them. They didn't want us to be frightened. They were very much in the mode of, you know, we went through it, let's move on with our lives. It wasn't until Wald's father passed away in 1986 that he and his brother rummaged through his belongings. I remember I reached into this drawer and I pulled out this unusually thick file folder. And I opened it up and I saw what were clearly old documents. And then when I looked more closely, I saw that they were mostly in German and that most of them were dated the very late 1930s through about 1941 or 42. Neither my brother nor I spoke German, but I was able to make out that these were letters written from my grandparents to my father, but I couldn't read them. It took 14 years after his mother died until Wald was able to translate the letters. One long paragraph was in English, written by his grandmother, Regina Schoenwald. Wald at least knew she spent some time in England. In the letter, she was comforting her son, who recently arrived in America, couldn't find a job, and was depressed. My grandmother said, Your letter I have read many times. For God's sake, don't lose hope. Think of the Easter week last year and enjoy everything that comes across your way. Father and I take our long walks and we enjoy it very much. We have beautiful spring days. Our flat is now very nice and so comfortable. Everything has found a place, and the nice furniture is also very practical. 
with fondest care to you and all relations, a kiss, my dear boy. That just blew me away. Wald was amazed by how careful they were writing the letters, never exactly saying what was happening. Censors in Germany had to read them before they were mailed out. Wald's grandparents were shopkeepers, but they had to sell their store to a non-Jew and live in Jewish homes. They were ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. They didn't feel sorry for themselves. They didn't whine and moan. They just set about trying to get ready for what they thought would be their life in America. The Schoenwalds never got to leave Germany. They were able to get visas to Cuba, but by that time, the Germans decided on a policy to exterminate Jews. Although he is uncertain, Wald believes his grandparents died in a concentration camp in Subibor. Wald went on to share their letters with Lincoln High School English teacher Christopher Maley, who wrote and directed the play The Ghosts on the Wall. Maley says the play is completely primary sourced, based on the letters, German memos, and Wald's personal essays. It's acted by a cast of 24 drama students at the school. Now that we're losing a lot of people from that era, their voices aren't here with us anymore. And so we have to really fight to keep that legacy accessible to younger generations. According to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, Nebraska does not require Holocaust education in schools. But the Department of Education encourages teaching about it in their most recent standards. I grew up in a house full of ghosts. The spirits were not formless apparitions floating from room to room, but strong images and elegantly framed photographs tethered firmly to the dining room wall by history and memory as much as by wire and hook. Junior Evan Works portrays Ken Wald in the Lincoln High School play, and he's passionate about the story. The son of the Holocaust victims came to Lincoln, so it happened here, and it just seems very close. Works says the Holocaust is intimidating to learn about, but starting with the play and hearing the Schoenwald story is a good place to start. We need to read these stories and hear about these stories to see what happened and how we can see patterns that are still around today and how important it is to stop these patterns and to make changes in our world so that something like the Holocaust will never happen again. Ken Wald agrees. For the most part, his kids grew up thinking being Jewish was fine until anti-Semitism attacks like the Charlottesville shooting happened. He hopes people will take attacks like those seriously. We can't stop it, but at least we can do things to make people understand the costs and, and the dangers of going down this road. And I think Chris's play does that beautifully. The play has been performed in Florida schools, but this is Nebraska's first high school production. For NET News, I'm Melissa Rosales. The Ghosts on the Wall will be performed at 7 p.m. tonight and 2 p.m. tomorrow. For more information, find a link on the Friday Live page, netnebraska.org slash radio. I'm Genevieve Randall. Still to come here on...
On Friday Live this morning, we'll hear about music workshops at the Old Avoca Schoolhouse. But right now, I am joined by Ed Polichick, music director for Lincoln Symphony Orchestra. And I'm joined by their guest soloist for a concert tonight at 7.30 p.m., Esther Heidemann. This concert features Mahler's Fourth Symphony, which has a very special solo in the fourth movement. Esther and Ed, welcome to Friday Live this week. Um, Thank you. So great to be here. I feel like I've been waiting all my life to get back out here to Lincoln, you know. And <laughs> between the last concert and this concert, I feel like I never left now. <laughs> it's great <laughs> to be here. There is a pre-concert chat at 7 p.m., and viewers of that live stream will learn a little bit more about the concert pieces and performers. They'll get to see the two of you in that uh, live stream. But I'd like to start with just a little bit about this Mahler Symphony that you're featuring. The structure and the inspiration for this piece is pretty unique. It is. It's one of my favorite symphonies of all symphonies. And of all the symphonies partially or completely uh, finished by Mahler, it's the smallest scoring. So in a way, they call it his chamber symphony, but by any other standards, it's hardly a chamber symphony. However, and during this time uh, with COVID, where we have to be socially distanced on stage and uh, abide to all the protocols of being uh, with masks and, and uh, all that kind of thing, there's no way we really could have done the original version of this symphony. So looking through, and this was just a, a, a search in general of repertoire that could be done on a smaller scale for the rest of this, this particular season, there has been a, several versions that are reduced versions, transcriptions in essence, of this symphony. I chose the one by Erwin Stein, who was a student and a friend of Arnold Schoenberg, where Schoenberg really expected his disciples to be able to do this kind of thing. In other words, taking huge works and combining them into very small chamber music size groups because they had this society where they wanted to perform for one another all kinds of works, but in a small version. So this symphony, which is, you know, a normal size symphony, probably anywhere from 65 to 75 players on stage, is now reduced to 12 players. Actually 13, because the piano, which is written for piano four hands, has to be separated with two different pianos because of, of distancing. So it's 13 players, plus our, our soprano soloist, Esther Heidemann. And I have to say, it's brilliantly magical what Mahler did with this symphony, but it is also, I think, absolute genius what Stein did to create this very, very intimate chamber music size ensemble to really explore all of the things that Mahler did with a large orchestra in a very small group. It's brilliant. Esther, Lincoln Symphony fans who have been to previous concerts will have seen and heard you. But for our statewide audience this morning, uh, just a little bit about you and your path to a career in music. I think you're from the Midwest originally. Is that right? I am. I was actually waiting at the airport when I flew in and the next flight over was to the closest town to my parents. So I was like, ooh, which flight do I get on? Um, <laughs> 
I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, actually, and I I grew up my my family was very musical. We weren't allowed to be in sports because we had to do chores, but they encouraged us to be in music. We always joked that my mom and dad, when they were dating, they saw the sound of music, and my mother always said that if she had kids, we were going to be the Von Trapp family. And so we all play instruments. We all sang in the choir. We would be like the church choir. We would sing for anniversary parties. I mean, we were the Von Trapp family. That's kind of how I. Started started. I always sang to the cows as I was milking and stuff because my father and I always had a fight whether they milked better and gave more milk to country music or classical music or um, (laughs) name it. But it was just a joke going up. But I just had amazing music teachers and they kind of inspired me to go into music. I started out a clarinet major and I somehow made it over to singing and found my way to New York City and just continued music. And it's just been such a great part of my life all this time. So it's great to be back after a year where it's been taken away. Thank God you left clarinet because the gift that you were given vocally, Esther, is very, very special. As most people may know, Esther and I have collaborated on many, many occasions. Most recently, a little over a year ago, December, she sang Our Messiah with the Baltimore Symphony in 2019. It's always one of my great pleasures to be able to work with Esther. And I noticed, Esther, when you were talking that when you said you were from Wisconsin, you had, you know, Uh this kind of, yeah, you you had this kind of redone accent, which you got out of, because I know you would really normally say, I'm from Wisconsin. And the reason I know that is because I'm from Scranton, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pennsylvania. We have this very flat accent, which I just love, you know, I'm I'm very, I'm, I'm very partial to dialects and accents throughout the country. And living in Baltimore, you have no idea. We can't even understand half the people there. But it's 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 beautiful. I love it. I went to Ireland last February before the world shut down. Within 24 hours, I started speaking in an Irish brogue. And my husband was <laughs> laughing at me. And I couldn't help it. I just started picking up the Irish brogue because I grew up with it. But it's normal. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's hysterical, the things I would say. Esther, thinking about your journey in this last year as a musician, where is this particular concert on that timeline? Have you been able to perform recently? I've only done one other concert series. Well, two concerts in one week. I stayed with the conductor in Connecticut and we did a recital at his house. So it was just he played the piano and it was a a full recital with microphones and cameras rolling, which was weird, but it felt great to be back. And then we did a a Mozart Requiem, which was difficult because they couldn't have the full choir. So they had an ensemble quartet singing all the choir parts. And as the soloist felt a little strange because then the, the other quartet was like a bigger part than you because the choir sings more than you. And like any place that you would normally sing a solo within the choir, they had to have the other quartet do it because they could only have four soloists on stage at a time. And that was in Massachusetts. It felt amazing to be back on the stage with the orchestra and the vibrations of the instruments around you again. Like I got teary eyed and and very emotional. But at the same time, it was like you expect this normal situation and it's still anything but normal for musicians because with the mask, especially as a singer, you know, 60 percent or more of your face and your facial expressions are hidden. The sound that you normally hear in your ear is so different and changed and it's just been an interesting year the only other singing i've done i've been going outside to an irish pub and singing with a group of musicians because i wanted to keep performing and also practice your irish brogue and my irish brogue has never been so great you know (laughs) um 
And then I just felt bad for all the families that lost people after this all started happening. So I volunteered with some with some funeral homes to if they heard that somebody was going to stream uh, a funeral service, I volunteered to sing one song for every family because I thought everybody deserves music for their their final farewell. And so many people didn't even get that. So I would just send like video emails and just say a complete stranger is thinking of you. Out of curiosity, uh, for your concerts that you did in Massachusetts and Connecticut, uh, well, obviously in Connecticut you were in the conductor's living room, so you didn't have an audience. But did, did you have an audience for the one in, in Massachusetts, or is it empty? We did not. That? It was just videotaped, right. and we had plexiglass on three sides of us, 13 musicians behind us, and um, plexiglass. So we were spread out across the front of the stage in a plexiglass square. So I said, at least my miming skills came into use, you know, because it felt <laughs> like you should just touch them a fun experience to be back with people again, but, you know, just still not 100% normal. We took 10 tests, I think, before I could be with the conductor in his home, and he was isolating, and I was isolating, and then I drove there so that we wouldn't worry about any germs on a flight or anything like that. And I must say that, you know, the last concert that I was out here for two weeks ago, our Beethoven uh, concert, was the first time I had conducted in, in, in over a year, and it was in a way it was very strange because we did our dress rehearsal on the lead center stage the night before and then the concert the next night was live streamed but to me it felt like an opera dress rehearsal because there was no audience and we were all dressed up but you know no applause no nothing we, we go through all the motions of as if there were a live audience but there there isn't it's a bit unnerving because there's literally no silent psychological or oral feedback when when you're when you're doing it this way there's this kind of moment at the end of a piece where you're all excited that you you've you've made a performance come to life and there's silence you know so so what i end up doing is just yelling bravo because i just get so excited about what's going on (laughs) well it's also interesting because every singer i've talked to over the last year with all the emotions we hold it right here in our throat so it's like every singer has like it feels like a lump in your throat when you start to perform again and then every conductor that and i don't know if it's true for you but every other conductor i've talked to is having like shoulder pain so it's like whatever your art form was there's a knot in your shoulder or there's pain it's like there's a pain associated with whatever your art form was that has been like clamped and shut down. I don't want to neglect to mention that we have something else special on this video stream. Before the symphony, before you and Esther perform that Mahler piece, there's a performance of some music by Liszt by one of the next generation of classical musicians. Rochelle She is going to play piano. She is the LSO Young Artist winner for 2020 and 2021. So that's going to be a special part of this performance as well. Each year when we do this competition, the winner always gets to play with the orchestra. But of course, this year, that's not possible. We're going to actually present her video that she submitted for the competition. When people watch that tonight, they're going to be awestruck by it. It's, it's, it's very phenomenal. It really is. And Rochelle is a, a high school freshman, so it'll be interesting to see that. She is um, performing that list work as part of the live stream concert tonight. And at 7 p.m., she is also joining us on the pre-concert chat when that starts. So I'll be joined by Rochelle as well as Ed Polichick and Esther Heideman for about 20 minutes. And then Rochelle's performance, followed by the Mahler, is at 7.30. Ed and Esther, it's been a pleasure talking with you about tonight's Lincoln Symphony Orchestra concert featuring Mahler. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Genevieve. Thank you for having us. And you're listening to Friday Live, radio you want wherever you need it across Nebraska. This is NET Radio. I'm joined next here on Friday Live by Debbie Greenblatt and David C. to talk about some upcoming events that they're hosting at the old Avoca Schoolhouse. Well, Debbie and David, how are things in Avoca? I don't know. I haven't been out of the house in a year, so I don't know. Dave, how are things in Avoca? Things are going great in Avoca. <laughs> Still a bustling little town. Sounds good to me. Well, you guys are have your own little bustle right there going in the schoolhouse, it seems like. Um, today you're presenting a Celtic workshop, and then there's another one this coming Sunday. So are those workshops identical, just different times, or are they two different workshops? How does that work? Well, it's actually a workshop based out of a book that we put together called A Celtic Sampler, which is just a group of some of the best tunes that we've published in other books, our Scottish book, our Irish book, and the Welsh book. And so we've curated the best tunes, and so I'm doing half of them on, hopefully, at least half of them today, and then half of them on Sunday. So you could go to both, potentially. Yes, some people are, yeah. How does one participate? Well, you need to register. And then uh, in the case of this particular workshop, uh, we send out uh, the book so that you have a chance to look at the tunes ahead of time and, and, and construct any questions that you might have. So you sort of need to be able to play. It's, uh, it's for folks who can read music. Or if you want to just learn it by ear, sometimes folks will just sign up and not want the book. And then after they start hearing some of the tunes, then they decide later, well, maybe I should buy the book. As May begins, you'll be leading a wedding workshop. Now, is this for musicians who might be asked to play for someone's wedding? Yeah, because you've got to really plan that stuff ahead of time. So there'll be several sections of that, but each occasion, each day, we will be covering everything you need to know to at least have one tune for each category. So you need something before the wedding, you need the prelude, you need something uh, for all the processional stuff that will be happening. You need to have tunes for in the middle of the ceremony, if there's like a serious moment or a lighting of candles, and as well as the afterwards and the march in and out and the postlude and stuff, so that folks always have some music there. So it's, it's kind of hard to make all those decisions, but I've already been there and done that, so <laughs> it's all in the book. I have played some weddings myself, and I feel like no wedding ever goes quite as planned. Have either of you ever played a wedding like that? Dave, I've got stories. Do you have a story? I've got a couple of funeral stories. Well, okay, so there was one wedding. Usually the brides get a very bad reputation that they earn most of the time. But in this one wedding, the bride was great. She said, oh, yeah, show up around so-and-so, and, yeah, yeah, play what you want. And so I said to the woman, would you like a processional? And she said, no. I said, are you sure? She said, yes. I said, fine, okay, so we're there. We have prepared what we thought we needed for the occasion. 30 seconds before the downbeat of the starting of the thing, the bride came up to me and said, you know, I sort of changed my mind. I think I, I think I would like a processional, you know, and I'm looking at David and we like to be prepared ahead of time. So I played haste to the wedding for her processional, only I, which is a jig. It goes, so I played it really slow and stately and she loved it. And then after the gig, I confessed that she was happy. 
I'm looking ahead to the second half of May and you're doing some harmonica workshops. And David, I am thinking that you're leading those, right? That is me. I've been a harmonica enthusiast for many years. You can tell by the harmonica on my chalkboard there. Matter of fact, to play this song, you only need three pitches. 5B means whole five, you blow. B is for blow. So the first 10 notes are blow into whole five. Then you come to two notes that a whole four, D for draw, that's when you suck air in and then you blow. And just that quickly, all of a sudden, you're playing a song. So you weren't a harmonica player a minute and a half ago, but now you are. And so that's kind of the idea of this song is just to get people started with it and to let them know where the pitfalls are, what usually trips people up, and a little bit of understanding so they know what other things they can do. Because even though this is a diatonic harmonica in the key of C, you can play in multiple different keys on it, minor keys and things like that once you know the secrets, and that's what this workshop's all about. As we chat here on Zoom, I wondered what that was behind your head, and I see now that it is indeed a harmonica. I'm wondering, actually, what is the most complicated thing? I think people look at a harmonica at first and think, oh, this looks very simple. What's the problem that people stumble over most often? First, one of the nice things about it is they come in different keys. So this is the key of C. If I want to play in the key of D, I, I buy one in the key of D and play it the same way. But it covers three different octaves. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Do, re, mi, fa. And each one is constructed differently. And so you start learning in the middle and you think you know what you're doing and all of a sudden you take it up a different octave where do, re, where blow, hold four, draw, hold four. When you go up to hole seven, do is blow seven and ray is draw eight. You realize some of these things that trip people up and discourage them, and they, so they give up. So there's different things. I say to start with one octave songs and learn to play in the middle, then take it up an octave. But that octave is missing the seventh note of the scale. And the bottom octave is designed for blues, and one of the workshops is for blues. That I have found is easier to coach rather than to actually teach. So I'll be strumming a chord on the guitar and I'll, I'll help people find safe notes, notes that blend with that chord. And then I'll have them find another safe note. And then I'll have them kind of walk up and down the scale from one to the other, gradually creating licks. So kind of by holding their hands and tiptoeing through the tulips with them, they get the idea of what they're supposed to do. And then I give them some cues of how to use the internet to, to keep on going with it. When you're starting to play the harmonica, because I experienced that problem too, where each octave is different, it's like playing on an Escher stairway. <laughs> That's pretty good. But it's not, and, and then it is, and then it's not. You have to be flexible. Everything from Celtic music to wedding advice and harmonica workshops, lots of music workshops going on from the Old Avoca Schoolhouse this weekend and through May. Debbie Greenblatt and David C. are leading those. Is there anything else coming up that you guys want to share? We get to hug our grandchildren in a couple of weeks. That sounds awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. It does. We have awesome grandkids. Thanks for taking some time to talk with me today, and we will have a link to more on the Friday Live page at netnebraska.org slash radio. Take care, guys. Thanks, Genevieve. Thanks.
Omaha Symphony has a couple of performances this weekend. KVNO's Corbin Hirschhorn tells us what to expect. This weekend, Omaha Symphony and Opera Omaha will come together for two evenings of moving operatic music. Guest conductor Connor Gray Covington leads the Omaha Symphony in performances of pieces from Mozart, Bizet, and Chausson, joined by soprano Karen Slack and baritone Craig Irvin, featured on Mahler's Songs of the Wayfarer. Mahler's Songs of the Wayfarer are a spectacularly beautiful piece. Actually, this is my first time doing them, and as I've been working on them, it's made me really sad that Mahler never wrote a full opera. He was a famous opera conductor of his time, of course, and wrote wonderful symphonies, but he never actually wrote an opera. Uh, at least, if he did, I don't know about it. Because the story that he uses, and he wrote his own his own poetry and his own text for these pieces, the story goes through an entire journey of, of losing someone he loves and, and how he, he tries to cope with it and fails to cope with it. And then finally, at the end, he realizes that he doesn't know how it's going to be okay, but he knows it will be okay. And it's just, it's a wonderful exploration of all these emotions that he was actually dealing with at the time, uh, because he wrote this, uh, it, it seems that he wrote this as a way to cope with the emotions that he was having after a breakup with a soprano that he had been seeing. so the journey is just so wonderful and powerful and beautiful. And I really wish he would have been able to extend that into a two-hour opera to, to explore that more. But I'm, I'm just so excited to get a chance to perform this piece because of, of the emotional journey it takes the singer and hopefully the audience on. Almost a return to home, Irvin is a native of Iowa. He saw his first opera at the Des Moines Metro Opera and fell in love with the art. Irvin completed his undergraduate studies under the tutelage of Dr. Robert L. Larson, who unfortunately passed away just last month. This is a deeply emotional performance, not just because of the music, but because of the journey and a return to the stage since the beginning of COVID-19. I am so excited to get on stage again, to be honest. It's been over a year now since I've been on a stage with a company. I did a show in in December in Orlando with an orchestra, which was wonderful. And I can't wait to get back on stage with an orchestra because the energy and the power and the emotion that can flow through the orchestra and then having the, the human voice added to it to convey the text and all the emotion that Mahler has put into this piece, I just... I've been looking forward to this for months, and I'm, I am i can't wait to get back to Omaha. Omaha Symphony and Opera Omaha will present Bizet, Mahler, and Chausson at 7.30 p.m. tonight and tomorrow, April 23rd and 24th at the Holland Center. For more information, go to omahasymphony.org. For Friday Live, I'm Corbin Hershorn.
coming up this morning on NET Radio, classical music on morning concert and this afternoon, Laura Black and classics by request. Be sure to visit the NET website for podcasts of the show at netnebraska.org slash radio. Portions of Friday Live are pre-recorded. Our theme music was written and performed by Alexios Anist. Thanks to everyone who makes Friday Live possible, including Carrie Meese, William Padmore, and associate producer Dave Hughes. I'm Genevieve Randall. Support for programming on NET Radio comes from History Nebraska, recognizing everyday Nebraskans who do their part to preserve and share Nebraska's stories. The history of Nebraska belongs to the people. To learn more, history.nebraska.gov.